0: Hi, I'm B. Hi, I'm Audrey. This is Triple F Dogcast. The podcast where we vent about those faithful furry fucks we call our own. I'm ready. Okay. Hi. Uh, welcome back to the show. I'm Audrey. I'm B. And this is the Triple Off Dogcast. Uh, so let's let's just kind of get into it. Um, first thing we want to talk about today is weird shit. What's some uh, what's some weird whoa, shit? Whoa,
1: weird shit? <laughs> 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 oh man. Um, okay, so we each picked some kind of like viral video, and we're gonna try and figure out what is the reason that the dog is doing that. So I picked. The corgi twerking to the bubble butt song. Okay, I'm going to play this video right now. Play it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The little look over his shoulder at the end is the best part. It's
1: twerking, huh? It's so funny.
0: Okay, so um, it's a video of um, a little dog twerking and a little corgi twerking we're going i'll I'll post it on the twitter but um i'm gonna watch it again here is it looped or does he really no he really twerks for this long yes this is like um this is like a solid 10 second twerk yeah it is so tell me since you're the corgi expert what is
1: is this corgi really twerking so what this is what it looks like to me is that if you look at the video, the dog is obviously looking at someone and something, and it's making him excited. And yeah, like, you know, Sherlock's butt does kind of, like, wiggle a little when he gets excited. That, I think, just happens to be, like, a super intense, like, excited butt. I have a feeling his owner's, like, holding a ball or, like, a, something that, like, he's like, loses his shit over. Um, so he like, it makes him do that. And then they just, you know, added some fun music and made it look like he was twerking.
0: That's what I was going to say. You also can't see the, um, you can't hear anything other than the music. So for all you know, the owner standing on the other side of that video, like baby talk, you know, scream singing at the dog and the dog is just like going crazy with excitement. Um, can you
1: feeling there's a tennis ball on the other side of that camera?
0: Just from as a corgi expert, you think it's a tennis ball?
1: Yeah, surprisingly, a lot of corgis are like really love fetch.
0: Jetson, um, a, oh,
1: a, yeah, that's right. A cardigan and corgi is we know. like obsessed with frisbee. Like he gets so excited. So I think it's like something like his like favorite game that must be like he he must be being teased with on the other side. So uh, Lo and I actually taught Lilu how to twerk. What? what yeah
0: <laughs> okay uh i guess i'll try to find a video of this too we must have one but lilu developed allergies uh, a couple years ago and one of the ways that she learned how to scratch her allergies was to um rub her butt on the wall have you seen that gif there's like a little like little black boy dancing with um like a chihuahua or something and it's like um twerking against the wall uh, lilu does the same thing i'll find these videos lilu does the same thing but she's just scratching her butt but it's funny because the way, what happened was we would always be like, Lilu's twerking just because we thought it was so funny. Uh, the way that she uh, would scratch herself, that it got to the point that if we told Lilu to twerk, she'd go over and start like twerking on the sofa because uh, she associated the vocabulary with the behavior, even though we didn't actively teach it.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: So it was a different kind of twerking than this, this corgi. This was like a, a butt wiggle twerk and Lilu's is like a butt itch yeah. twerk. But it's still a good old twerk.
1: Does Lilu go more like in a circular? No, change?
0: she goes like up and down. You know, she's she's like, um, like she'll put her tushy up against like the, the bed frame, and then push her booty up. So she she's twerking on the edge of the bed frame, so she can scratch her
1: little rump. Yeah, you absolutely need to find a video of that.
0: I am certain I have a video somewhere. Uh, if I can't find one, I will go make her twerk on the, on, this weekend, and I'll catch it on, yeah, on video Instagram for you. Instagram
1: needs to see this.
0: Okay, uh, I have uh, some weird shit. Mine's not a video. Mine's very much more serious uh, <laughs> than your cute little uh, twerking corgi, but you can open the link if you want to. Um, it's the story of, and I'm sure some of our listeners will be familiar with this story, but it's the story of a black lab in Colombia, who every day goes to the front desk at this um, tech institute and gets up on his hind legs and gives them a leaf over the desk. And the person on the other side of the desk gives him a, a treat. This dog lives like in the area or in the immediate space surrounding this this building. It doesn't really particularly have an owner, but these people now provide food and water for it. And mm-hmm. um, I think he's a little boy dog. And he brings, he gets up on his hind legs and he pays for a leaf. You know, pays with a leaf for for food. And um, the story attributes it to the dog watched people paying and getting things. And so the dog went and got a leaf and and tried to pay and receive something. And I wanted to ask you if you think that's what's happening. Do you think the dog saw people paying in exchange for something? Or do you think it's more just along the lines of like... um, they unintentionally taught the trick of you pick up a leaf and put it up here, and you'll get a cookie. Like, if you sit, you'll get a cookie.
1: Well, every day he's seeing people give them probably what looks like a leaf, something right. green, mm-hmm. and then they give it, and then they get something. It's he's seeing that every day, and so you think he's it's learning like commerce.
0: You think it's likely that he learned commerce from human beings, <laughs> and he decided that if he were to be bipedal and um, carry currency that he could assimilate.
1: Yeah, it it seems like he's like, oh, I give them this and I get something.
0: This is a really tricky one, and part of the reason I wanted to talk about this in today's Weird Shit segment is because uh, this is kind of the most extreme version of a lot of what we get, we, we see with Weird Shit, which is like... We see a dog do something we can't really explain and the explanation we come up with is the most human one which is yeah he's paying for an item he wants and he learned that from watching uh people
1: mimicking our behavior right
0: and i'm kind of torn because uh when i first became a uh, animal behaviorist and i did all this studying one of the big big things that they emphasize um in animal behavior research is that dogs cannot learn through mimicry um, Your dog can't look at another dog sitting and go. Oh, I should sit uh, and, and that will work for me. They can't look at something and then mirror the behavior um, That's what I was taught in my textbooks. I feel like um, I've heard thousands and thousands of anecdotes saying otherwise and uh, one of my most distinct memories is uh, about this is specifically working at a doggy daycare. There was a dog that knew how to jump over the fence to the other side of the of the park to mm-hmm. go get a ball. And he would do it, you know, a couple times a day. And after a few days of daycare of this dog being there, you bet your ass other dogs learned how to do- jump that fence. Now, um, yeah. the the argument would be... Uh, That he's not the other dogs aren't mimicking the behavior of jumping over the fence. It's that the competition has raised, and they want that tennis ball, so they try harder, so they jump over the fence. I don't, I don't know which to believe. I haven't like. But how
1: else would they figure out how to jump over the fence if because they, if not by seeing another dog do it? Yeah, I just don't know. It's it's um that that seems that's an interesting theory that like dogs can't mimic. But I just, I also feel like I've heard so many stories. It's just like two dogs and like you tell them to sit and only one of them sits. And then you give the one who's sitting a treat, then the other one sits. And I like, used to teach that as an
0: exercise. I used, we used to call it um, uh, friendly competition. You'd take your two, three, four dogs, you'd deliver one cue. And whoever did it first gets the, the treat first. I found the competition to really inspire dogs to, to act. I, you know, I don't know. It's, it's strange. And I should do a little bit more research I guess, but I can think of as far as like gifts on the internet, hundreds and thousands of situations yeah. where they they um, tailor the gift to make it look like the dog is mimicking. Like I saw one where a dog's like rolling on its back in the um, the snow while people are making uh, snow angels. Is the dog thinking I'm making a, a snow dog? No, the dog is saying, "Oh, this feels so good on my back." Um, yeah.
1: But maybe he does associate that. Maybe he thinks that's what his humans are doing. Maybe it's not that he Brinks. thinks. Even just like what I was mentioning to you the other day about the that video about the two labs and the one who gets the ear medicine and then the second one doesn't need ear medicine, but he gets in line to get the ear medicine because the other dog gets it. So yeah. then they have to pretend to put ear medicine in him and then he's
0: happy. I think that one's really cute because and what I think that one is is very much just well um, th- those owners yeah, those owners probably are very even with the way they dole out food and treats and attention to their dogs. Uh, and so usually the one dog gets a treat and the other dog's patient. He gets the treat in this situation. He's like, but I want an ear massage, you know, and he yeah. doesn't, he doesn't realize that the other dog probably doesn't enjoy the ear medicine uh, because for him, the ear medicine is just a couple more seconds where like dad is, is rubbing my ears and talking sweet to yeah. me. And so I think he's just getting in line um, for his affection, you know, his affection. It also like those, those sorts of things where you see um, this dog is comforting another dog. Or, you know, it's like there is there is a lot of debate in um, animal psychology about whether a dog is is are they comforting the other dog or or does the body language they display that looks like comfort actually read it is actually something like um, survival. Like one of the, the things being um, and you see this as far as like gifts on the Internet all the time. I was collecting gifts for the, the show today and I encountered like a thousand of these where um, the dog is guilty. Right, and they they show a little footage of yeah. like the trash can being torn up, and then they pan to the dog, and the dog's on their back with their tail wagging sheepishly and these like big puppy dog eyes, and then they're like, "Maggie's so guilty." Maggie knows she's guilty. That's a huge misconception because the tummy up, um, small little tail wags, um, big eyes is usually a defense mechanism. It's that submissive role. It's the um, Mm-hmm. It's the, I, I don't understand why you're putting out, um, energy right now. and I'm going to try to deescalate the scenario. So it's not yeah. so much that the dog knows they're guilty um, yeah. and they're apologizing for it. They're just kind of frightened by the tone you've taken. Um, and you're filming the trash can and they go, okay, my, my owner's not in the, uh, is not thrilled right now. Um, and sometimes dogs will just get in that position when they're not guilty. For example, my mom's dog, Pearl, she's this little chihu- um, Dachshund uh, Yorkie mix. And she's got these, like, she's had, like, feet instead of legs. Like, she's so, so close to the ground. And when I reach down to uh, love on her or pick her up, she automatically drops on her back and shows me her stomach. She's not, she's not scared of me uh, in that situation. It's Again, it's just a dog body language technique that they use. By trying to apply, oh, she's guilty to it is really problematic. Um, and so, but I also think at the same time, it's, it's hard to know. And um, I think that by saying we can never attribute human emotions to dogs, that can also be really problematic, because I think it's good to recognize dogs can feel things that are akin to um, jealousy uh, or sadness. I Don't know if they feel guilt. I'm, I'm afraid to say that dogs feel guilt or remorse. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, I you know, I, I do think it's okay to attribute some human emotions to them, but usually stuff you find online is above and beyond
1: That's so cute though. That's He paints his life.
0: Yeah, you know, like it me. brings him satisfaction and it makes everybody smile and and laugh. So what a perfect
1: uh, perfect situation I love him. His name is Negro with mm-hmm. a black lab. That's much like I had a white lab growing up named Blanca. <laughs> <laughs> We're so creative.
0: Um, Well, I feel like I'm thinking of all these weird shits to talk about now, but uh, we should move on to the next segment and, and save some. Yeah, I know. You really got me thinking.
1: I know. I, so I, have... I can think
0: of so many now. Write them down and collect them and we'll we'll start picking, picking them <laughs> okay. apart and I'll, I will this week you know I'll go back and I'll, I'll open some of my uh, animal behavior textbooks and um, find these these passages about dogs not being able to mimic and dogs not being able to mirror and maybe you and I can um, argue it a little bit you know yeah with our animal psychology degrees <laughs> that we don't have um,
1: yeah. We, yeah. <laughs> just a ton of hands-on experience canine connection <laughs> We're going to talk about anxiety. I know we kind of messily talked about it in an episode before but I think we're going to do a full one. This was,
0: um, anxiety was a request from one of our um, listeners, Team Foxtrot, hi, and uh, they had a couple questions, specifically fear of loud noises. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also just kind of anxiety in in general. So I thought we would start by just saying what it looks like and why it happens. Uh, Anxiety in dogs, usually shaking and crying are the noticeable uh, symptoms of your dog being anxious. Equally as common but less uh, understood are displacement behaviors, which are things like uh, yawning and grooming which are things that dogs do sometimes when they're feeling very very anxious to try to de-escalate a situation and then uh, in very extreme cases we see things like uh, vomiting uh, defecation or um, hurting themselves in an attempt to get back
1: to their guardian. I get anxiety. I think canine anxiety is probably just like I mean I feel like it must be similar to us maybe like the fear of the unknown. So, you know, you hear a sound, you have no idea what it is because you're a dog Yeah, and that stresses you out.
0: Definitely fear of the unknown, I think is a great way to to put it. And it's the same with humans, right? It's the fear fear of uncertainty. I had a job interview earlier today and um, the hour and a half before my job interview, I walked circles around my very small apartment, just constantly walking in circles. You know, I I was anxious. I was anxious of the unknown. I didn't know what the interview was going to be like and I was just anxious about it. So I think that's a a good way to to phrase it um, in regards to dogs. It's usually anxiety over the things they need to survive. So um, will I be fed? Uh, Where is the water? Is that loud noise going to come get me? Uh, Is that dog a friend or an enemy? Is this person a friend or an enemy? Uh, So those, I think, are a lot of the ways that anxiety expresses itself.
1: Do you think it's more common in rescue dogs? Or do you think that even, like, a purebred King Charles Cavalier who was... The owner's head since it was two months old we'll still have those issues.
0: I think when it comes to anxiety, obviously we have nature versus nurture. Certain breeds are uh, have proclivities for anxiety, and that's something that should be acknowledged. Uh, for example, the Alaskan Klee Kai, uh, which I have one of, um, they're just always anxious. They just are. Uh, Chihuahuas, Italian Greyhounds, a lot of those like small breeds. Um, have a lot of anxiety because it's kept them alive through many years of um, breeding and and, uh, evolution. You know, uh, the chihuahua that makes it to the next generation is the one that is anxious about where people's feet land on the ground, you know. So there is a certain amount of it that's bred into them, but I think way, way, way more significant is nurture. So I don't think it's rescue versus purebred. I think it's more about whether that dog has had structure and outlets in its life or if their life has been you know, wrought with ins- uh, uncertainty. You know? So yes, a lot of rescue dogs come to you with anxiety because their life has been um, in this state of peril for however many days, weeks, months, years that dog was looking for a home. Um, but I think that if you provide the right structure and the right uh, exercise that even a rescue dog that comes to you uh,
1: with a whole bunch of anxiety problems can find some relief. Totally. And what do you think are like the most common types of anxiety? Definitely separation anxiety. And I think, you know, noises is also a big one. Yeah. So
0: sound anxiety, obviously fireworks, um, loud cars. And I actually have a great story about sound anxiety that I want to mention. But also separation anxiety is a big one. That's probably the one that we get the most uh, need for. It's also one of the hardest ones to solve. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's just like general uh, social anxiety. So fear of other dogs or bad interactions with other dogs. Maybe um, your dog's uh, social anxiety is not expressed as uh, cowering from other dogs. Maybe it's expressed as playing too rough or mm-hmm. um, big explosive reactions on the leash Um, And then social anxiety also can be towards people. Can you leave your dog at a daycare or a groomer? Do they shake so bad that they throw up? Um, Can people come into your house or is your dog so anxious that they um, show their teeth or growl or bite or bark? You know, so anxiety is really anything, in my opinion, that has been underexplained to your dog. If you take the time to explain the situation, I'm not saying it's going to get rid of all the anxiety, but you will be giving your dog tools to handle it. Um, more so than if you just let the world be scary and loud and hope your dog yeah. figures it out. Yeah. What are some of the ways that you um, can ease anxiety or or improve anxiety? I guess I should ask you like that. Um, can you get rid of anxiety altogether or is it really just more of a management system?
1: I think it it could be more of a management system because i don't think that anxiety is present 24/7 i think there are moments and situations that bring out anxiety and that may be very intense for some dogs
0: right i mean i think that's the, the best way to look at it actually is say let's say anxiety is not something you can cure it's only something you can manage However, um, the time periods between anxious episodes may get as long as six months. Maybe it's a year. Maybe your anxiety, uh, re- your dog's anxiety really only shows itself on the 4th of July every year, which is about where Lilu is now. Lilu used to yeah. be incredibly anxious, very, very problematically anxious. Uh, and now at seven years old, there's one day of the year where I have to, um, lock her in a room and, um you know, sit with her. That only happens once a year yeah. now. So yeah, I would still say Lilu has anxiety, but I would say it's mostly cured. I think going into it with an expectation of, I cannot fix this. Um, I can only manage this. You'll probably find yourself somewhere on the other side that was like, Oh,
1: I fixed it enough that I'm happy. Totally. Yeah. I think, um, Sherlock doesn't really have a problem with loud noises, uh, motorcycles, he doesn't, that doesn't make him anxious. He just is like, get the fuck out of here. He barks him away. He just, oh my God. He like looks like a savage. Going after <laughs> them. He's crazy. But what makes him anxious is we kind of talked about this is iPhone noises. Yeah. And that was actually an interesting anxiety for me to deal with because he didn't start reacting to it until he was two years old. And i had him since he was a puppy. And he didn't start reacting to iPhone noises until two years into his life. And he he has gotten better. Um, And that has just been me positively reinforcing the sounds. So every time an iPhone noise, you know, goes off, if I have food nearby, I give him food. And if, (laughs) if I don't, I just praise him and pet him and love on him. And he's gotten better. But every time he hears a noise, he just looks at me now. Yeah, that's going to be – for a little while, you will create a dog that, like, you get a text message and he'll be like, where's my treat? Um, yeah. And if, for as long but as – it's better than him, like, shaking and, like, you know, being so anxious. It
0: is. And over time, um, you won't need to give your dog a treat every single time, mm-hmm. but that, that iPhone chirp will have – Um, Moved from the anxious part of his mind to the pleasant part of his mind and it will stop getting a negative response You you nailed it. That's really the easiest way to do it. I don't know if you remember when we used to do our um, CGC our um, AKC canine good citizenship uh, Certificates you guys used to have to pass a test item where I would drop a metal chair on a concrete um, ground and Your dog was no closer than 10 feet to it but it made a god-awful noise and your dog was only allowed to bark once Like if they reacted, the reaction was only allowed to be one bark long, and you, as the handler, had to say "ah," leave it, you know, fast enough to stop the the second bark. What did Sherlock do? Um, Sherlock would give one bark, and and
1: you would usually be able to stop. Did he bark? Yeah, usually a little wolf, but he
0: was like a year and a half. That day
1: was a blur because I I went in with zero expectations. I was like, my dog is not going to pass this test. It's not happening.
0: And And he passed.
1: Yeah. Uh, No one believed me.
0: (laughs) They surprise you. Well, and then sometimes um, The dog that like never had any problems at all during prep um, The six-week prep course would just come in and eat shit on the day of and we would just look at each other and Be like why did this happen? And there's just no telling Um, Yeah, so that was a loud noise and we practiced that one in the six-week prep course for the CGC class and I would drop something like a choke chain on the ground that would make like a noise or um, uh, Drop the chair or like scoot a table and all these loud noises And the second I would count down, three, two, one, and I would drag the chair. And on that one, you guys would shove a handful of treats in your dog's mouth. Um, And at first the dog, you know, they take a bite and then they get nervous about what it is. And maybe all the treats come spilling out of their mouth. um, And maybe they bark a couple times. You wait for everything to deescalate. Maybe you do some sit, lay, stay, practice training. And then when the dog's focus is back on you, you try again. If the loud noise is too distracting that you can't get your dog um, to eat a treat after the noise, then you need to move the noise further away or have the noise be uh, less severe. And you just desensitize. You straight up say, hey, you know that scary noise that makes you think you're going to die? It actually means snacks. And they will just, re- they'll recategorize it as this is dangerous to me, as this is beneficial to me. And you won't need the treats forever. You'll just have changed the tag
1: on the experience is one way to say it, I guess. Yeah. But desensitization, I think that's, you just have to kind of put your dog through that, unfortunately.
0: Unfortunately, that's the hardest part is you have to put your dog through it,
1: but the
0: You will be the most effective if you break it down into the smallest steps possible. Um, so I'm gonna use your example. actually, let me use an example that of a dog I've been working with recently has um anxiety about skateboards. And that makes sense. Yeah. So they're like rumbly, growly little things and they zip past you, and um, usually you can't usually you realize they're coming and then they're on top of you already and then they're gone, you know? So it's very hard to, um, tell the clients, okay, well, you need to pull off to the side and be ready with treats and all this stuff because, uh, it just happens. You don't know when a car is going to backfire in your neighborhood. You don't know when a skateboard is going to come around the corner. You don't know when these scary noises are coming. Um, the skateboard was really you. That was a good one because there's a skate park in the neighborhood and we were able to put the dog, um, you know, 40 feet away from the skateboards, and he could handle that. He could be forty feet away from the skateboards without shaking or without reacting. Um, but thirty feet was a little harder, and twenty feet was even harder. But the nice thing about that is they could say, "Well, you know, yesterday we got to twenty feet, but he seems more anxious today. I guess we'll work in the thirty-foot space." It's the same thing when we talked about stay. Is if you yeah. if you work beneath your dog's ability level and then gently shove the the ceiling of their ability level up, um, you're going to be successful. Where if you just try to like okay, we're going to go hang out at the, this is called immersion therapy. It's the wrong thing to do is you take your dog to the skate park and you sit down in the middle of the skate park while there's skateboards like going all around you. That's the immersion therapy usually doesn't work with dogs. It usually, um, sends them so far into an anxious space that they shut down and there's no learning happening.
1: I think I, you know, is it wrong to, if you see a bad situation coming to just remove yourself from it? I
0: mean, that's my favorite option in general.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: If you have small dogs, pick them up, you know, and just get out of the scenario. Uh, If it's something that makes your dog anxious. There is the issue with small dogs that there's an anxious noise um, and they're shaking and you you pick them up and you're, quote unquote, coddling them or uh, rewarding the behavior. And... I kind of have issue with that, partly because sometimes the dog does need help. If you're so far to a point where your little dog is climbing your leg, pick your dog up. That's not. There's no learning there. That dog is too far gone. That dog is in the ninety to one hundred percent range of anxious, and there's no learning that's going to happen there. We have to scale
1: back until the dog is just a little anxious, and we can kind of push. Yeah, because you don't. I don't think you you don't want to put your dog in a position where they also feel like they have to fight no. for their life.
0: Yeah, you know, if your dog has a fear of um loud noises like thunder, you know, you can get that on your computer going and you can practice uh in your house where your dog is more comfortable. Um you know, with the volume really low and you can be in control of these, um, desensitization sessions. Don't just throw your dog out into the wilderness. And if you are out in the wilderness because you're on a walk or you're at the dog park and something happens that you know is going to make your dog anxious, get the hell out of the situation because an anxious dog is a dog that bites. Um, and you know, we're, as we will always be on this podcast, completely honest that any dog can bite at any time. Uh, and so you want to protect your dog from that by removing your dog from situations where he may
1: be um, inclined to do so. So do you think, because I'm a firm believer that with exercise and wearing them down, it will help relax them and maybe decrease their anxiety. Do you agree? Yeah. So there's a couple different ways
0: to decrease anxiety. And I think the- Or do you think- Sorry. Or no, do you no.
1: think like there, there's only so much you can do? I well,
0: so there's a couple different things. We mentioned desensitization so far, and that's, that is a big part of it. But desensitization is not going to work, um, or it's not going to have lasting effects if there isn't um, structure and exercise. And what I mean by that is for anxious dogs, they do really, really well when their day is structured. And uh, that can be different things. That can just be we go on a walk every day at 9 a.m., Or it can be um, even more severe as it is for some dogs that have really, really bad anxiety issues, which is you're in your crate from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. We go on a walk from 10 to 11. You eat at 11.10. You go back in your crate from 11.30 to 12.30, and you stick to a schedule like that when you're working with a dog that has really severe behavioral issues. You give them that kind of schedule. You'll see this entire demeanor shift in the animal. Because finally, oh, thank fucking God I know what's happening. I know when my next need is going to be satisfied. And I can start to trust these people as the people who provide me that. So structure is one of those things. And that can look like every different for every family and every dog. But um, the other one is exercise. And Exercise, I mean, I'll do like the thing. Okay, 85% of dogs are in shelters uh, because of behavioral issues So most dogs end up in shelters were abandoned because somebody decided they couldn't deal with their behavior anymore And the vast 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 majority of behavioral issues are because dogs are under exercise So generally when uh, somebody comes up to an animal trainer for anything my dog pulls my dog barks my dog digs my dog It's always okay. Well, let's increase the animals exercise So that's thing number one and I will say Um, well I mean maybe you have an opinion how long do you think a dog needs to be walked for
1: I think it all depends on the dog and their energy level Um, you know like a chihuahua doesn't really need to be on like an hour long walk you know because a chihuahua takes like five
0: six steps for every one step you take
1: (laughs) those little legs (laughs) have to work really (laughs)
0: hard I call them
1: ground tappers Tap, tap tap tap, yeah, tap, 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 tap. They walk so bad. I, I love them. <laughs> They're so cute. But I think like a a minimum of like 30 minutes is good.
0: 30 minutes is a really solid walk. That's what my minimum is yeah. for my dogs. Um, I will do a 20 minute walk in an emergency. But 30 minutes is a is a good start. I would really just say if you are having anxiety problems with your dog and you walk your dog 15 minutes a day, try to double it. If you already walk your dog 30 minutes a day, try to go to 45. Um, You know, a lot of times, okay, so anxiety and energy are two sides of the same coin, right? I started this whole conversation with saying that Mm -hmm. I walked for an hour and a half inside of my apartment waiting for my job interview this morning. Um, I was turning my anxiety into exercise so that the anxiety wouldn't Mm -hmm. consume me. Um, And you also see a lot of dogs in expressions of anxiety are things like um, digging at the door, digging at the crate. Licking or chewing their feet, uh, destruction of toys. Uh, those are just signs your dog wouldn't have the energy to do those anxious behaviors if yeah. you had properly walked them first.
1: Yeah, they're just looking for an
0: outlet. And that's hard for dogs that, like a lot of the dogs that are prone to anxiety, um, Klee Kai and uh, Yorkies, you know, those are incredibly high energy dogs. And so you do have to kind of make that effort um,
1: to inject a little bit more exercise into the day. I always, it's funny, I measure Sherlock's energy level by, so like after we take a walk, um, when we get back to the apartment, as we exit the elevator, I let him off leash. And if he still has a ton of energy, he'll run to the door, run back to us, run to the door, run back to us. Run to the door until we get to the door. But when he's exhausted, he just like will walk right by my side and he like can't, can't, doesn't have the energy to run. Yeah. So for you, it's a barometer. Like,
0: did I, (laughs) did I do
1: a good enough job
0: walking my dog? Today,
1: today he walked ahead of me, but he didn't have the energy to run to the door.
0: We, we always call it the doggy graveyard and that's how we know we did a good job exercising our dogs as if when you get back from a walk, they all end up like flat on their side unmoving for the next like two hours and like yes. we'll, we'll walk out <laughs> into the living room and there's just like a bunch of dogs but none of them are moving and we call it the doggy graveyard <laughs> and it means we did the we did yeah. right by our dogs today. Um, well, I have uh, like a little – I have two more things I, I guess I want to say um, on anxiety. And, um, okay. The first one is if – Desensitization, or something that you can kind of do in the process, process of desensitization. I, I said that immersion therapy is never the right idea. And that's where you really throw the dog in with the sharks, you know, a, do- a dog with fear of sharks into a pool of sharks. Um, but there is something called flooding that is a little bit helpful. So, like, let's say your dog gets anxious when somebody knocks on the door uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, every time someone knocks on the door, somebody comes into the house or you speak Mm -hmm. to someone at the door and that that makes them nervous. Um, And so it it gets to the point where maybe, um, you know, every time somebody knocks on the door, your dog literally starts to tremble. And even if you just have to go to the door and like get the package from the UPS man, your dog is still trembling afterwards. You can flood uh, the sound of knocking on the door. And so, uh, for example, I'm sitting at my desk right now, I might go like this under my desk every couple moments and my dogs didn't bark because they don't, they don't think that sound means someone's coming to the door. That's just an annoying sound that I make sometimes.
1: I've also heard, um, you know, kind of ways that I've heard people cope with anxiety Um, is people who have told me they use essential oils like lavender oil. So they'll have like a diffuser and they'll just put lavender and just kind of like let it go off while they're not home to kind of help, Uh, calm them down. That's kind of like a holistic uh, approach.
0: I have essential oils, and sometimes I just put the lavender one on myself because I like the way it smells and I feel like it kind of calms me down. Um, So yeah, I have definitely dabbed some of it on my dog's collars. Uh, We also have that, um, we have CBD for Leeloo now, but she doesn't have
1: too many anxiety issues, so we haven't really used it. And I guess the 4th of July will be our first chance to try the CBD. I think CBD is a really good tool for dogs with severe anxiety. But also, like, you know, another holistic approach is music. And that's something that a lot of
0: times people will use music or white noise uh, to help calm their dogs down. I don't super know the effectiveness as far as... um, uh, music for dogs that have anxiety just by, like, turning it on. But I do think you could do a lot of really good work if you started to um, associate music, certain types of music with uh, calm and comfortable times. So they say, mm-hmm. apparently, dogs respond well to, um...
1: I think it's classical music, actually. I want to check that I out. was literally going to guess. Classical music is probably, like, the most calming thing. Uh, well... Depending on the score, of course. What kind of music do dogs like? Um
0: okay yeah so here's here's the um here's the statement from the american kennel club uh dogs listening to pop music showed no reaction um heavy metal tunes prompted barking and agitation and classical music seemed to have a calming effect
1: clearly this is just kind of somebody's um collection of a couple experiments but uh but i mean if you need to try something you know there are options and what
0: i would do is i would do something like um Bring the essential oil out, uh, turn the classical music on and then lay on your, on the couch with your dog for 30 minutes and do that a couple times a week. And when you set up the same kind of environment, your dog's like, Oh, I feel a little bit calmer now. Um, white noise is also helpful if your dog is afraid of sounds. Um, you just really got to experiment see what you can do. Another thing I know that we haven't mentioned yet is, um, utilizing crates. So we talked about crate training last week. Sometimes mm-hmm. crates cause more anxiety if you haven't done it correctly but when he's in his crate he knows this is my blanket this is my bone dad comes home and lets me out and that completely reduces his anxiety level
1: because he has so um so much less to think about yeah i think if utilized and trained correctly the crate is amazing uh i don't know i think we did we were pretty comprehensive that was pretty good. I think so. If you guys, I mean, if there's something you feel like we didn't cover in that, um, you can always DM us on Instagram or send us an email at triplefdogcast at gmail dot com, and we can get back to you. Uh, we have all of our handouts on Patreon. So all of our all of the stuff that we um, talk about during
0: K Nine Connection is on Patreon. Uh, it's only a dollar a month for access to the handouts. We're also going to kind of, um, start like building a blog there where you guys can just hear our daily thoughts and get to know our dogs a little bit more. Um, but for now, if you, if you want access to, or I guess if you want written versions of the stuff that we talk about, um, I do write some cheat sheets. They're cheat sheets that I've been using for a decade now to help people learn how to train their dogs. And so those will be, um, online.
1: Perfect. Um, so is anything... Any tails are wagging on your end? Yeah, Freya's tail is wagging. Why is her tail wagging? So
0: I mentioned a little earlier in the show that Lilu used to have allergies. Uh, and we managed to um, get Lilu's allergies kind of under control with food changes. But in the last year, Freya dev- developed allergies. And hers were just horrific. I mean, we've had issues with Freya. Um, she's missing most of the hair on her feet now. She uh, chewed her feet open. Oh, She was so itchy that if you reached out and touched her, she would basically fall over because she would have to pick a foot up and start kicking. And so obviously it was out of control. And we tried a lot of the different things that we had tried with uh, Lilu, which was changing diet. And um, we changed her diet and we saw an improvement for like a couple days or like a couple weeks. And then the the allergies came back again. So we took her to the vet and... Uh, we have been to the back and forth to the vet a couple times for particular skin ointments and um, treatment ideas, and obviously nothing was was working. So uh, we took her back to the vet for uh, a steroid shot, and mm. we have gotten a steroid shot for Lilu in the past, uh, and it worked. and uh, but for Lulu, it gave her a bunch of side effects. Like, she had to pee constantly, and she was really thirsty constantly. So, we never went back to the steroid shot with Lulu. we just managed it with food. Uh, but we, they, they told us there's a new shot, and it's called, um, Canine Atopic Dermatitis Immunotherapy Injection. The brand seems to be Cytopoint? C-Y-T-O-Point? It's not a steroid, like the one we gave Lulu. It's an antibody that blocks the itch signal in your dog's nerves. Um, so the thing that makes them itchy still exists, but they don't feel like they're itchy. The vet, you know, reassured us she wasn't going to have the side effects. It was really important for us not to have um, the peeing and the drinking thing for Freya because Freya has a hard time drinking as is. You know, she, there's always this risk of aspiration. I didn't want her to be drinking more um, water than she needs to. So uh, they kind of convinced us to do it. It was expensive for Freya. It was like 140 bucks because she's a big dog. Um, But it was literally overnight. She does not scratch. And I can touch all of the parts of her that used to trigger big old scratching episodes. And she doesn't scratch. Like it used to be I would touch her tummy and her little foot would start kicking immediately. And I can't get her feet to kick at all anymore. Like I can scritch her all over her whole body and she just lays there and looks up at me happily. Um, her, her feet have healed up. And so I just kind of wanted to you know, put that out there um, that this, this injection really, really worked for Freya without any of uh, the side effects that we experienced the first time. Allergies are tough because even when you go through eliminating diet, uh, sometimes they don't go away. Sometimes the allergies are allergies to grass or pollen so to our vets, uh, from our vet's recommendation. Freya now gets foot baths at night. Oh, cures Yep, every single night we fill the bathtub with a little bit of like water and Epsom salt. And she gets in and we scrub all of her feet and um then she gets out and then she gets to go to bed and that's helped a lot with healing some of the the wounds on her feet uh and funny because you mentioned that during weird shit that lab who needs his ears done um we make spooky wash her feet after freya washes her feet but it's not because spooky thinks she wants to it's because spooky will be a dick to freya afterwards because um she like tries to punk her when she comes back she's like yeah you're you got wet paws fuck you so we make spooky's paws wet too so that they both feel vulnerable
1: Because Vicky's such a punk. She's a punk. Uh,
0: So yeah, Freya's tail's wagging this week. She's not as itchy, uh, interestingly enough, now that she doesn't have um, to chew on her feet 24-7. I have to walk her more. (laughs) She now has more time to be destructive in my home and problematic in my home since she's not spending six hours a day chewing on her feet.
1: Oh, that's amazing. Oh, I'm so happy that that's helped her. Yeah. That's amazing. This made me
0: really, 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 endlessly happy to see her um, relieved of this issue. And I'll report back on the show and let you know um, in a couple months from now if we have to get another shot or if it, if it's gonna last. Uh, so that's gonna do it for Triple F this week. Patreon. how do you say it? I say, you know, Patreon, because you're, you're, pa- you're a patron. Patron. Like a patron, patron, like a person who gives money to, to someone you else in, in exchange yeah. for a product
1: or a service. Is it patron? Am I wrong? Because I know patronizing just... is not a good thing. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at triple F Dogcast. You can email us
0: questions at triple
1: F Dogcast at gmail.com.
0: Thank you to bensound.com for our music.
1: Bye. Bye. Beautiful. You didn't say, we had to say bye. I I, you know what? It was improv. <laughs> Wasn't in the script. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs)